Good morning. Welcome to each one of you. I agree with Danny. I was going to mention these flowers when I got up here. Thank you to whoever brings them. I was just sitting here while we were singing, noticing these. I don't even, I don't know the names. I'm terrible with names, names of flowers, names of people. But these right here, if you look at them closely afterwards, it's really interesting. There's like, there's all these tiny flowers arranged in a circle inside the flower. And just the intricate detail. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really neat. And I see those, and it just, I, I like to walk out in our garden sometimes and just look at flowers. And when I'm working for people, I get to be out in their yards and see their flowers. And it, it just reminds me of how great God is. And all the, that he cares about the detail in a little flower. The details of our lives. <clears throat> I'm going to be turning this morning to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. It has been said that Proverbs is the most intensely practical book in the Old Testament. It was written by Solomon, a man who had tried out and tested just about everything that a, a man could be involved in. You could say that Solomon had been there and done that. The book of Proverbs has been called one of the best guidebooks to success that a young man can follow. That applies to uh, young women as well. <laughs> the first nine chapters of Proverbs are written to young people, addressed my son. He's writing to his son. How many of you consider yourselves to be young? <laughs> All right. Some of you who are young are, don't raise your hands, and some of you who are questionably young raise your hands. <laughs> it's good. Well, I'd, whether we're young or not, I think this passage, Scripture, is important to people of all ages, male and female. It's Proverbs 3. I'm looking at the first 12 verses, and this passage is very basic to our Christian life. Heard my father-in-law say, <laughs> got to stop to grin at him, that if we want to be successful in our Christian lives, we'll have to go back to the basics again and again. I think he's right. That's what I want to do this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, I'm just looking at the first 12 verses. I'm going to take just a couple verses at a time and like to look at them. Starting in verse 1. <clears throat> my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. So we're not to forget and we're to keep my law. It's a father's instruction based on the principles in God's word. And obviously not all Christians live a long life. However, usually a person who is self-controlled, who honors their parents, and God typically lives longer. It's like saying you will then have a life that is worth living. <clears throat> Verses 3 and 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem 
in the sight of God and man. Mercy or loving kindness and truth. These are, it's God's faithfulness to his promises is often expressed in these terms, in mercy or loving kindness and truth. Told to bind these about the neck, it could be talking about wearing them as a, as a necklace, but more likely it's referring to a yoke like an oxen, like an ox has its harness to pull its load. If we have mercy and truth as part of our lives, they will fit us to bear one another's burdens. What happens if you have mercy without truth? It's important we have both. If you have mercy without truth, we'll compromise. If we have truth without mercy, we'll probably be harsh. We need both, not just one or the other. And we see mercy and truth beautifully demonstrated in Jesus' life. The two coming together. Binding them, writing them on your heart is, is really talking about making it part, making it a part of me. It's part of my, of my nature to become a merciful and a truthful person. And then the nature of God will be mirrored in all of my relationships. I'm merciful and truthful. And the results of being merciful and truthful are favor with God and man. <clears throat> Read verses 5 and 6. I think these two verses are the core of true wisdom and the core of this passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. To trust is to place confidence to place my confidence in something. It carries the force of relying on someone for security. When Ann and I lived in northwestern Ontario, we had a little Jack Russell, and I mean little. This, this puppy was a runt in her litter, and so even for Jack Russells, they're a small dog, but this was a, this was a small Jack Russell. And Gina was very close to me, Harold Byler sent her to me after I had a major surgery on my head. While I was flat on my back for six weeks recovering, that little puppy laid right on my chest. And we really bonded. She went everywhere with me once I was up and doing things again. And I would, if I was in the house and I said to her, Gina, let's go for a ride, she would run to the door. And as soon as I opened the door, she was out by the truck and ready to get in because she knew anywhere I went, she was going along, everywhere except church. If I dressed in church clothes, she would lay in her bed and mope. <laughs> anyway, getting to my story, uh, Gina and I went for a, a hike one day. We drove up the north road out of Sioux Lookout a number of miles, and we pulled off, and I, we went hiking back this trail. Well, we hadn't gone far, a couple hundred yards from the truck, and she took off into the underbrush, barking furiously. And I was hoping it wasn't skunk or something. Well, here I hear a scratching sound. And a big black bear went up the tree. And uh, she was delighted. 
She was so sure she was now a big dog, she was racing in circles around the tree, barking and jumping in the air and celebrating. And this big bear is hanging up there. And it looked over its shoulder and started looking down at, oh, that little thing sent me up the tree? And it started backing down the tree again. Well, when Gina saw the tree, I'm sorry, when Gina saw the bear backing down the tree, her tail tucked between her legs and she came racing back for me. She was looking to me to protect her. She was looking to me for security. Well, I'm afraid I let her down pretty seriously. <laughs> I was not worthy of Gina's trust. I turned tail and ran too. <laughs> I, by the time I started running before she got to me and she quickly passed me and I just hollered at her, Gina, let's go for a ride. <laughs> she, got, she got to the truck before me and was very eager to get inside when I opened the door. <clears throat> We chose somewhere else to hike because I did not want to tangle with the bear after she upset it. My point is, she looked to me for security and I was not worthy of her trust. Notice in verse 5, who were to trust in? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The Lord, it's Jehovah, is the, the name of God that's used there. It's the self-existent one. He needs nothing. He's the eternal one. He lives forever. He is worthy of my trust. Unlike me, I was unworthy of Gina's trust. I'm going to flip to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm just going to read two verses there. Verses 1 and verse 6. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Coming back to Proverbs chapter 3, <clears throat> Or to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not with most of it or 51% and have the rest in something else, but all of it, wholehearted commitment, total commitment. And standing opposed to that, I'm not to lean on my own understanding. Isn't that what we naturally tend to do? I go with the way, you know, the way I see things, well, that's just right. And some people are off on this side and others are off on this side. But the way I see it, we seem to think of that as right down the middle of the road, right? Not far left or far right. But I'm not to lean on my own understanding, my knowledge or wisdom. We find it difficult to place our trust in what we can't see as humans. A number of years ago, I read a story, a fictitious story in Reader's Digest, about a man who fell over a 500-foot cliff. And as he fell, he desperately grasped and caught a little shrub that was growing out of the side of the cliff. And he's hanging onto this thing desperately. And the dirt is starting to tear away from around the, the base of this shrub. It's not going to hold long. 
as dirt's falling in his face and he's hanging on, he yells, help! Well, he's out in the middle of nowhere. But a voice answers him and says, let go, and I'll catch you. What? He's looking. Where are you? I don't see anyone. Who is it? The voice said, it's God. Let go, and I'll catch you. He says, is anyone else out there? <laughs> Isn't that how we tend to respond sometimes to God? Isn't there someone else? Isn't there someone I could see? That's my natural tendency. But God is trustworthy. Proverbs 28, verses 25 and 26 say, An arrogant person stirs up strife, but one who trusts in the Lord will prosper. One who trusts in his own heart is a fool but one who walks wisely will flee to safety. Notice the one who trusts in the Lord is contrasted with an arrogant person. An arrogant person doesn't turn to the Lord and place his trust in him. An arrogant person doesn't need the Lord. I don't think any of us want to be arrogant, but our sinful tendency is to trust who? Myself. And the next verse tells us the one who trusts in his own heart is a fool. I am not a fool to trust in the Lord. Verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. To acknowledge is to know, to recognize, to be aware of, to consider. So I'm to acknowledge, to be aware of God, to consider God, as I go through life, as I make decisions, consider God. How does this look to you, God? What would you want me to do in this situation? I'm to acknowledge Him in all my ways. Again, total commitment. And not just consider God on Sunday morning and now check that off for the rest of the week but acknowledging God every day in all of my ways. It's a moment by moment. It's a way of life, acknowledging God. It's what I need. You know, the fool spoken about in Psalms and Proverbs is not someone who's lacking in intelligence. We can tend to think of a fool like that, but the fool is not someone lacking in intelligence. It is someone who lives as if there's no God. It's someone who doesn't acknowledge or consider God as he makes decisions. That's the fool. Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. There's a promise connected to in all your ways acknowledging him. And that is that he shall direct your path. Word direct is to make plain or straight. And I'm told the literal translation in the original says, He shall cut a path before you. Instead of He shall direct your path, He will cut a path before you where there is no path. Reminds me of when Ann and I went camping in the Canadian bush. 
we lived on an island on the Laxo Indian Reservation, and we were in the middle of huge Laxo. Uh, you could go 80 miles northwest of us on the lake, but we were on a, about a two and a half mile island, and about half a mile across, and we would go out on the lake and go west about seven miles to our island. It's an unnamed little island we found on the map. I was just looking for something that's protected from the north and west. And we just found this place on the map and went there. And sure enough, it looked like it'd be a good place to camp. But there was only one problem. It had a beautiful beach. And we stayed there for long end, three or four days. First time we were back in that time, we heard one boat. I don't think we even saw it. and we had one plane go across. We had the place to ourselves, it seemed. But so we get there, and there's nowhere to put our tent. So I brought a machete and a hatchet, and we, we waded in, and we just cleared a, a campsite out of the bush. And that's where we stayed. Went back to that several years. But we made a, a path where there wasn't one. Do you believe that God can cut a path for you where there's no path? When you don't know what the way forward is or how you're going to get there, do you believe God can make a path for you in your situation? I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 43. Read just a couple verses there. Isaiah 43, I'm reading verses 16 through 19, or Sparta 19. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it will spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I'm going to pause there. Here, the psalmist is reminding them of what God did for the nation of Israel. He took them out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. You know the story well. There's no way through. Scripture calls it the mighty waters. Another place it calls it the deep. And they walked through on dry ground in the middle of the Red Sea. God made a path for approximately 2 million people plus animals. Verse 19 of, that I just read here, he says, Behold, I will do a new thing. We're not to get stuck while it's good for us to look back. It is good for us to look at history and Scripture and remember what God did for His people. I need to do that. I need those reminders of what God is capable of and what God has done in the past. But I shouldn't get stuck thinking that God only, God's deliverance is only in the past. God said, behold, I do a new thing. Don't get stuck thinking only about what I've done in the past. I am still active today. 
We don't want to put God in a box and think His deliverance is only in the past or that God only acts in certain ways. You ever find yourself thinking if God has done something in the past, you think, oh, that's how He's going to respond. And then you're surprised and say, well, you know, God did something different this time. I think we have to be careful. We don't put God in a box. God Almighty, the one who made a path through the Red Sea, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who sees the end from the beginning, that's the one who will direct your path. Jeremiah 10.23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. I will go wrong on my own because sin has distorted my judgment. And so I'll make wrong decisions if I depend only on myself. And I ask you, do you want to know God's will for your life? I'm sure we do. Do you want to know how to live a righteous life? Psalm 23.3 says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Do you want to know how to get through difficult circumstances? You see three conditions in this passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Then, he will cut a path before you. Verses 7 through 12, I believe, describe what trusting the Lord with all your heart and acknowledging Him with all your ways looks like, and it pinpoints three of our most common temptations, or let's call them three common, our tendencies. Let me flip back to Proverbs 3 to read verses 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. The fact that we have to be told not to be wise in our own eyes says that we have a tendency. Our first tendency is to be wise in my own eyes. To see myself as having the best idea. Fear or reverence for the Lord is the opposite of being wise in my own eyes. When I trust the Lord, when I trust in the Lord, I will fear the Lord and I will depart from evil. Fearing the Lord does affect our physical health, but as Alan Ross said, the healing that the fear of the Lord and the avoidance of evil bring is first and foremost spiritual. Let me repeat that. Alan Ross said, the healing that the fear of the Lord and the avoidance of evil bring is first and foremost spiritual. It does also affect me emotionally, physically. It affects the whole person. It will be health to your flesh. I have a footnote in my Bible on that verse. It says, literally, it will be health to your navel. Now why did Solomon choose the navel? 
Any thoughts? Is it because it's central to your body? It's about the middle? Could be. Why do you have a navel? You probably don't spend much time thinking about your navel or your belly button. I'm assuming you all have one too. How did you get it? Why do you have one? Anybody? When you were born. So when you're born, this thing shows up? Or what, what's the purpose? Okay. Thank you, Dale. So it was for use before you were born? Yes. He's right. It, it's, it's the connection. It's where you were connected. The umbilical cord is connected from the baby to the mother. And everything the baby needs, it receives all its nourishment, the blood flow, the oxygen, everything needed for survival in the womb comes through the umbilical cord. If that cord is cut off, or if it's constricted, it's, it's pinched off too tight, the baby's going to die. Something has to happen quickly or you lose the baby. Trusting God is to the spiritual life what the umbilical cord is to the baby in the womb. I repeat that. Trusting God is to the spiritual life what the umbilical cord is to the baby in the womb. It's my life. I've got to have that connection. Reading verses 9 and 10 in Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your bats will overflow with new wine. First fruits were the first things harvested and often the best, the best quality. We're to honor the Lord with, the, with our possessions and not, not just the first fruits, but all of my possessions. It affects how I use what God gives me. It affects, I'm, I'm to honor the Lord with my standard of living. I'm to honor the Lord with how I spend my paycheck. Our second tendency is to honor ourselves with our possessions. The tendency is to say, hey, I earned it. I deserve it. And instead, I'm to acknowledge the Lord. Say, God gave me the ability to earn it. God, how do you want me to spend it? What would you like for me to do with your money? With your possessions? When I trust the Lord with all my heart, I will honor God with my possessions. Verse 10 is a reminder that when I honor the Lord with my possessions, God will provide what I need. It's not a promise of unlimited wealth, but it's a promise of God providing for my needs. I'm reminded of Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The motivation is not to get rich. The motivation is to honor God with what he has given me because it's all his. Verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, 
nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Our third tendency is to despise the chastening of the Lord, to rebel against it. Do any of you like to be disciplined? Any children like to be disciplined? <laughs> I don't see any hands. <laughs> I wouldn't put mine up either. Do any of you like to discipline your children? I don't. I don't enjoy that. I can remember my dad saying, I do this because I love you. And at the time, I thought, boy, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, looking back, I am grateful that my dad loved me enough. And mom and dad, if you're listening, thank you for disciplining me. I don't like to discipline Micah, but I do it because I love him too much to ignore his behavior and let him go and whatever comes natural to him. Now, God is a better parent than any of us can be. And when he disciplines us, it's proof of his love for us. In fact, in Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6, these verses, these two verses, 11 and 12, are quoted to show that suffering is a sign of sonship. It's a sign that we're legitimate children of God, that he cares about us. So our third tendency is to despise the chastening of the Lord and to rebel against it. When I trust in the Lord with all my heart, I will remember that God's discipline is simply a reminder that God, my Heavenly Father, loves me too much to just let me go. Do you want God to cut a path for you? To open a way where there isn't one? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and he shall direct your paths. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you that you are trustworthy, that you are eternal and all-powerful. You are trustworthy. You are always there. Lord, may we turn to you first. May we trust in you and not in ourselves. Lord, would you remind us when we stray from trusting you? I'm sure there are situations that happen to each of us where it's a challenge to trust you. And when that happens, Lord, would you remind us, would you, in your love, Discipline us, draw us back to yourself. As we go this week, through this week, as we go about the different things that we need to do, our responsibilities, may we, may we do so in a way that acknowledges you in everything that we do, so that you will be honored through our lives. That's our desire, Lord Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.